All right, here we go. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you, God, for this final message on how to reach our full predestined potential. Lord, it's been, uh, it's been insightful to me because you gave it to me. It's not, I didn't come up with this stuff, Lord. It's helped me, and I believe it's helped all of us, Lord God, to understand the in- incredible potential that you give your chosen children. And then we talked last week about who's chosen. The underdog is chosen. Lord, the person who's at the end of their rope, those are the people that you choose, Lord, according to James 2.5. Lord, that the people who aren't much in this world are the ones that you pick, Lord, the ones that you elect, the ones that you call, Lord Jesus. And we thank you, God, for that. So, Lord, I just pray that this final message, Lord, would kind of seal it all up for us and, and, and help all of this just to make sense to us. And we thank you, God, for it. In your name I pray. Amen. So three weeks ago, we, uh, we talked about that your potential is not how much or how little you have. It's not your talents, not your gifts, not your money, not your influence. It's how much God is able to give you and how much you're able to receive from God. So God's part's infinite. Our part's the part that's limit sometimes because he's trying to give it to us, and we have a hard time receiving it sometimes. And so that's our potential is limited by how much we can just receive, 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 receive. Um, <laughs> I was talking to this pastor. Uh, he drives up to my house every so often, and, and he works in a, in a church here in town. And, and he said, you know what? God's been dealing with me. We need to give, 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 give. It's not about receiving. It's about giving. And the Bible does say it's more blessed to give than to receive. But I'll tell you, when it comes to things of God, I've come to the conclusion I just need to receive, 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 receive. And from that, we're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. Then I begin to overflow, and that's where the giving comes is from the abundance of what God has given me. Um, Sacrificial giving, I don't know. (laughs) I need a lot from God to be able to give the way that I need to give. So anyways, uh, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about... um, I'm trying to blank. I've got it written here right in front of me. My brain just shut down. Those who God knew beforehand would enter into relationship with him, he went ahead and gave them a supernatural, unbelievable potential. He knew you before you were even born. He knew that you would know him. He didn't make you know him. He just knew it because he knows all things. And those that he foreknew, he said, I'm going to give you a bright future an incredible potential, and you're going to be able to accomplish amazing things. So that's what we talked about two weeks ago. Last week, we talked about the fact that we got to realize we're chosen of God. You are chosen by, hand-picked by God. He picked you if, in fact, you've given your heart to him. He's chosen you. He calls all men and women. He calls millennials. He calls the whatever the new generation is called. What is it called, Kyle? Is it the Zs? All right. He calls the generation Z. He thank goodness he calls the generation X, which is me, my generation. He calls the ba- he calls everybody. But the Bible says that many are called, but few are chosen. Why is that? Few of us respond to God and say, "I receive you." 
I receive, you receive God, you're chosen of God. And you need to walk around, I need to walk around like a chosen person of God. You don't let your assistant principal get at you if you work in the school system. You don't get your boss, let them get at you. You don't let your circumstances, you are chosen of God. And when you walk around like that, you're going to begin to enter into your full potential that God has for you. But this last week, this week that is, we're going to talk, I'm going to give you or going to tell you the tale of two chosen men. And we're going to wrap it up. And I'll tell you what we learned from those two or what I've learned from these two chosen men. And we're going to jump right into it. The two chosen men were King Saul and King David, both chosen of God, both handpicked by God, both from very humble circumstances, again, proving that God chooses the person that's the underdog, chooses the person that's at the end of their their rope, the end of themselves. And so let's just jump right into it. I'm going to be just telling a bunch of stories, all right? You might be able to walk along with me in the Bible. You may not, but if you listen, I think you'll be in good shape. So the, the first king of Israel outside of God was King Saul. And just a quick just a quick summary, there was several hundreds of years where the Israelites were were led by judges or prophets, okay? Led by judges or prophets and God was their king. So God would speak through the prophet, through the judge, and the people would follow that judge, that leader, but ultimately they were following God. The people after several hundred years came to then the prophet named Samuel. They came to Samuel and they said, we want a king. We want a human king. See, they had been operating under a theocracy. You know what a theocracy is? It's where God was their king. And now they were saying, we want a king. So long story short, God spoke to the prophet Samuel, who was the judge over the prophet over the country at that time, and he said, I'm going to give him a king. And it starts here in 1 Samuel 9, 16 and 17, and here's what God tells Samuel after the Israelites have said, we want a king. He says, by this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, okay? Now, Israel was broken into 12 tribes, just like the United States has 50 states. Israel had 12 tribes, and one of those tribes was the tribe of Benjamin, okay? So he says, I'm going to send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and I want you to anoint him ruler over the people of Israel. What was he saying? I've chosen this man that you're about to meet. I have picked him. I've anointed him Another word that you could use is I've appointed him. Remember last week when I told you I was in a job situation and I didn't feel very capable and I felt like I wasn't good enough and people were kind of telling me the same thing, you're not good enough, and God whispered in my ear and said, I've appointed you. I've appointed you. So here we see that same word that God's telling the prophet Samuel, I've appointed this man that you're going to meet tomorrow. Okay? So it goes on. He says, he will deliver the people of Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were the enemies, the arch rivals at that time of Israel. Do you have any enemies? Do you have any enemies? I bet every single one of us, sometimes we're our own worst enemy, but very often, there's a person or a group of people out there that we don't like them very much, and they don't like us very much. 
Now, Jesus said to pray for your enemies, but that doesn't mean that they're not still your enemies. <laughs> All right? They're still, they still seem to have it in for you. And don't be paranoid, by the way. Oftentimes, we get overly paranoid about our enemies, and they really don't have it in for Don't be paranoid, but the fact of the matter is we have people that kind of set themselves up against us, and that's who these Philistines were. I have looked on my people, God said, for their cry has reached me. Isn't that amazing? The people asked for a king. It was displeasing to God, but their cry reached the Lord. Have you ever asked for something that probably wasn't good, too good for you? But God still heard you. God still answered to the, in the best of your interest, answered you. That's how this, this panned out for these people. It's amazing. This man, um, so the next day, Samuel caught sight of Saul, all right? This is the chosen man of God. The Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. And so in, in 1 Samuel 10.1, if you just skip down really quick to the next chapter, verse 1, we see that Samuel takes a flask of olive oil and pours it on Samuel's head. Now, when we pray for people, did I, what did I say? Samuel, I'm sorry. <laughs> Samuel took this flask and pours it on Saul's head. He didn't pour it on his own head. He pours it on Saul's head, all right? Now, thank you. <laughs> um, when we pray for people in church, oftentimes we'll anoint them with oil. And we take this little dab of oil and pop it right. We prayed for a little baby once and dabbed it on his little forehead or her forehead. It was baby Bailey. And no, you know what? Back then how they did this? They took a flask of oil and poured it. I want you to think of canola oil or olive oil pouring down. You're blinking. It's getting in your eyes. It's going over your ears. The Bible represents this in one of the Psalms as the, 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 the beautiful oil of the Holy Spirit dripping down Aaron. He was the, the high priest during Moses' time. Dripping down his beard, down his garments. That's the oil of the Holy Spirit just being poured over your sickness, over your raw emotions, over the struggles you might have in your marriage. He just pours it out on you and he makes everything you can make it finally <laughs> I can do one more day God <laughs> you know I can I can take one more step God and so he takes this oil and he pours it over Saul's head he kisses him and he says has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance I'm telling you today, many of you, all of you, God's calling you. He's chosen you. He's picked you. You may not be good enough, smart enough, strong enough, energetic enough, but God has called you, and he's chosen you just as he chose Saul. So that we find in the following verses, I won't read them, that the power of the Holy Spirit comes on Saul, and he becomes a different person. <laughs> How would you like to become a different person, a higher person, a stronger person, a more powerful person? I'll tell you, I want to be. I want to be a different person, not a worse person, a better person. So in 1 Samuel 13, 13, and you don't have to turn to it. Just listen carefully. We find that God's intention for Saul was for him to have a kingdom that would never end. Do you hear that? 
Saul's kingdom, chosen man of God, was to be a king over a kingdom whose lineage would reign forever, ending with Jesus himself. That's amazing. King Saul was chosen by God to have a kingdom that would never end. Chosen of God. What did God see in Saul? Well, he saw what we talked about last week in James 2.5. Those that are in the eyes of the world are nothing. That's who God chooses. It's not some mysterious, mysterious, you know, I pick Madison, but I don't pick Sarah. You know, I don't know how God works. The Bible tells us how God works. He chooses the people that can't help themselves. The people who come to the end of themselves. And here we see this with, with uh, Saul in 1 Samuel 9.21. Saul answers Samuel when Samuel's saying, God's chosen you. Here's what he says. Am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan, see the tribes were broken into clans, smaller pieces. He says, my tribe's the smallest and my clan is the smallest of the smallest tribe. I'm the least. I'm the nobody. And if you recall from Ephesians, I think we were reading, it said, um, he, he chose those that are not to shame the wise. All right? He chose those of me, like you and me, the people that are nothing, to shame the wise of this world. And so he, here he chooses Saul, and Saul acknowledges, I'm a nobody. That's why God chose Saul. <laughs> it's good to be a nobody. It's good to be at the end of your rope because at the end of your rope is God's hand waiting to do something powerfully with you. And then in Samuel 10, 22, when they're about to basically have the coronation for Saul, they'd never had it before. So everybody's like, well, let's go. Let's, we're going to have our king. And so everybody shows up and nobody can find Saul. You know where Saul is? He's hiding among the supplies. It says it here in 1 Samuel 10, 22. They inquired of the Lord, where's our king? And he's hiding. Everybody's waiting to see the, the king, and he's hiding. He was a nobody. He, was, he, he felt inferior. And we shouldn't feel inferior about ourselves. Believe me, I'm not telling you that. But when you feel down, God's saying, I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to raise you up. So this is, these are some clues as to why God chose Saul. But let me tell you a couple of short, uh, Saul's shortcomings. We're talking about the tale of two people. I'm just on the first person. Listen to this. In, chap, in Samuel chapter 13, you don't have to turn to it, okay? But it's in, I'm just telling you where it's at. Saul is now king. The Philistines, his enemies, have gathered against him. And Samuel tells him, wait seven days. And when I come, we'll sacrifice an offering, a burnt offering, as they did back in those days, a, a sacrifice, a burnt offering to the Lord. But wait for me, all right? Saul is there with his armies and his men. He's waited seven days, and his men start to leave him. Saul freaks out. Have you ever freaked out before? Pressures are caving in. you got to make a decision. I've got to do something. But the still small voice in the back of your head is saying, just wait, just hold on. Wait, 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 I'm going to come through for you. But you don't wait. I've done this many times. This is how I can identify. You go off and you go do it yourself. Well, that's what Saul did. He pulls everything together and he offers the burnt sacrifice himself. He doesn't wait on Samuel. And when, he, when Samuel does show up, he showed up late, 
How many of you know that sometimes God seems to just show up late? <laughs> he doesn't, but it sure feels like he shows up late, all right? <laughs> he does it. Oh, that stretching hurts. That stretch, that flesh that's dying during that time, it hurts. But God never shows up late. He shows up at the last second sometimes, and you feel like you're about to fall off that proverbial cliff, but God never shows up late. Well, Saul didn't wait, as many of us. I've done this many times. We go, on, go out on our own. We make things happen. He sacrifices, and it was a big deal to God. This was a big act of disobedience, all right? So this is... This is Failure number one. How many of us have failed? I've failed. You failed. All right. Failures are not the end of the world. It wasn't to be the end of the world for Saul either, but it was a failure. All right. Here's failure number two or, or shortcoming number two. It's found in 1 Samuel 15. Now, Samuel, the prophet, is still kind of coaching Saul. And God tells Samuel, the prophet, to tell Saul, the king, Go destroy these people called the Amalekites. The Amalekites have, had given Israel fits for years and had been a thorn in their side. And so Saul, King Saul, takes his, his army out and he does a partial obedience of God. He destroys the Amalekites partially. He keeps their king and he keeps all the sheep and all the goods and all the riches. He was supposed to destroy everything, but he kept the king. He kept, and later on, we find, if you read carefully, you find out there was a lot of Amalekites he didn't destroy. Because later on, David goes on and destroys the Amalekites. But, but he does a partial obedience. Have you ever been partially obedient to God? He tells you to do something, and you do it halfway. Ah, I did it, God, you see, but the other half is, is undone. And so... Um, he, this is a shortcoming of Saul, another story of his shortcoming. Number three, we're going to study David here in a second, but David enters into the service of Saul as one of his commanders of his army. And it's after David has killed Goliath that Saul recognizes this young man is extraordinary, or the Lord in this young man is extraordinary. He puts him into his army. Eventually, David becomes Saul's son-in-law. All right, David marries Saul's daughter, Micah, and he becomes actually part of Saul's family. But here was Saul's shortcoming. He becomes incredibly jealous of David, incredibly jealous, so jealous that he becomes obsessed with killing David. And for years, David is on the run while Saul is trying to pursue him, chase him down and kill him. <laughs> he wants this guy out of the way. How many of you have ever been jealous before, obsessed before, all right? Jealousy is a bad, bad place to be. It's a horrible place to be. But this was another shortcoming of Saul. And then lastly, we see in, in 1 Samuel 28 that Saul goes the day before he's to die. He goes and consults with a medium. You know what a medium is? A, a sorceress, a spiritist, a bruja, a witch, whatever you want to call it, palm reader. He goes and consults, trying to find out from Samuel, who's already dead, what he should do. And so that he's asking this medium to bring Sam up, Sam, Sam, Samuel up from the, from the dead so that he knows what he's to do. And the next day, he meets his unfortunate uh, death. All right, Four big things the Bible tells us 
that a chosen man did wrong. All right? Just because you're chosen doesn't mean that you won't do wrong things. Being chosen doesn't make your life, ooh, perfect. I'm never going to mess up. No, I tell you what, chosen people mess up day after day after day. We're chosen, God's chosen people, and we mess up. All right? So Saul had his fair share of failings. All right? Now let's compare and contrast him with King David, who came after Saul. See, the day Saul died, all his sons died as well. They died in a battle. They all died, and it was, it was a process, but eventually David became king over Israel, replacing Saul, okay? And so let's, let's, let's look at, uh, at David. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, just verse 7, I'm going to read it to you. The Lord says to Samuel, well, let, let me tell you the story just really quick. Samuel shows up. This was while Saul's still king, <laughs> Samuel shows up at this little town, I think it's Bethlehem actually, and he, God showed him that God is going to pick another king, and there's this man named Jesse with several sons. He sits down to eat with Jesse, and he starts having his sons come by for the Lord to show him which one he's chosen as the king to replace Saul. And God tells Samuel this, as the first son walks by, he says, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. Listen to this. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So when you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, this is not a moneymaker, <laughs> you know, I wish I looked different. I wish I had more hair. I wish I was bigger, stronger, skinnier, shorter, taller, whatever it is. God say, thank God, God looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the external. This is all fleeting and fading, all right? We're all going to shrivel up more and more, quicker and quicker, and, and what's going to be left is what's inside of us, not what's on the outside of us. And so in 1 Samuel 16, 12, skipping down a couple of scripture, the Lord says, as David walks by, he says, rise up and anoint him. This is the one. The same way that he had chosen Saul, he chose David. And so David took a horn of oil again, anointed him the same way that he had anointed Saul. And from that day, just like Saul, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Same story. Two chosen men, but two completely different outcomes. And I, wanna, I want us to focus in on these outcomes here in just a second. In 2 Samuel um, 7.16, we see the same destiny for David as there was for Saul. He says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. In other words, the lineage of David would lead to Jesus. And Jesus would be forevermore the king that would reign on this throne. We see other things about David. David was a shepherd. He killed a lion with his bare hands. He killed a, a bear with his hands. All right, maybe there's a jawbone involved. I can't remember, but he killed it by himself. Amazing. Then he, he stood before a giant and, and killed a nine-foot giant. He went on, as I've mentioned, to be a commander in Saul's army and successfully fought the Philistines. But he was threatened, as I've mentioned many for years, 
by, by King Saul to pursuing him and trying to take him down. Let's look at David's shortcomings, though. We talked about Saul's shortcomings. Let's look at David's shortcomings. In my opinion, David's shortcomings were far greater than Saul's. Far, far greater. And you'll see what I mean here. In 2 Samuel 11, we find that David just digs himself in a hole that gets deeper and deeper and deeper. So one night, when the kings are supposed to be out to war, David is found in Jerusalem. Problem number one. When God tells you to go do something, don't hold back and let someone else do it. You go do it. Because holding back gets you into trouble. He's walking around on the top of his palace, and he looks down, peeping Tom that he was, looks down and sees a woman bathing. All right? He lusts after this woman. That very night, I have a feeling he'd been up there looking at her probably several times. I have a feeling this wasn't the first time. All right? I might be wrong about that, but... uh, it would make sense. Anyways, he calls, he sends his messengers down to her house and calls her up and has an affair with her. Well, it turns out this lady, whose name is Bathsheba, she uh, is married to someone who's in David's army, all right? So what happens when you start doing things wrong? Well, uh, stuff happens. She got pregnant from that one night. She got pregnant from that one night. And she sends a message to King David, hey, I'm pregnant. (laughs) Things just get really, really complicated when you do the wrong things, right? So David thinks, you know what I'll do? I'll have her husband come back from the war that David should be in as well. I'll have him come back, and hopefully, uh, you know, they'll have relations, and they'll think it's, it's their child. So he calls her husband back. His name is Uriah. And Uriah won't go home to his wife because he's a dedicated soldier. He sleeps at the palace entrance. He won't go home to his wife. So what does David do? He digs a little deeper. He calls Uriah in. He gets him drunk. (laughs) Now we're really thinking, right? He gets him drunk and thinks, well, he's get drunk. He'll go back home and be with his wife. Well, Uriah doesn't do that. He still sleeps at the gate. So David thinks, well, this is not working. (laughs) So he sends a message with Uriah to the commander of the forces and says, you know what, put Uriah in the front row where the, you know, the artillery, where the arrows are coming in the heaviest, and uh, let's just make sure that he, he gets killed that way. So Uriah is carrying his own death sentence with him, gives it to the commander. He does, obviously doesn't look at it, and sure enough, Uriah is killed in, in battle. Pretty bad stuff, right? For a, a chosen person. Has anybody, I, won't, I don't want you to raise your hand. Have you ever done any of this? Maybe part of it? Who knows? We've all done wrong things. This is a pretty bad wrong thing, though. This is pretty ugly. And I won't go into all the details of what happened after that, but David messed up. Number two, David was not much of a father. <laughs> If you look at how David fathered his many children, because he had wives and he had many children through many different women as king, and he was not a very good father. In fact, um, this, is, this is really graphic, but one of his sons uh, really uh, uh, abused one of his stepsisters. And we find this, uh, I can't remember what chapter it was. David, all the Bible says is that David got angry. 
but he never did anything. He never held his kids accountable to do what was godly and righteous. And we see the whole story of Absalom, his son. Terrible story. His father was never a strong father to his kids. And David suffered greatly from it. His sons suffered greatly from it. All right, so he wasn't a very good father. He was a very weak father, actually, until it came to Solomon, his successor. He seemed to spend a lot of time and pour into him. But thirdly, and I'll end with this one, is David conducted a census of how many people were in Israel and how many, how many soldiers he had. And God was greatly displeased with this because God doesn't look at numbers and he doesn't want us to look at numbers. You know what, if our church stays 50, 75, praise God. Who cares? You know, we want to reach more people, but we're not here to be about numbers. (laughs) We're here to praise God, to serve God, to love God, to march forward in the Lord. And so these were three big-time problems that David missed, uh, shortcomings that that David had. Um, You know what, though, at the end... The Bible says in Acts 13, 36, it says, David fulfilled God's purpose in his generation. David fulfilled. Saul didn't. They did the same things pretty much. Called the same way, chosen the same way. But David fulfilled God's purpose in his generation despite all his shortcomings. And I just want to share with you just a couple of thoughts here as we kind of finish up. One thing that we see is David was a man after God's own heart. Even though he was a murderer, even though he was an adulterer, even though he was conniving, (laughs) he was a man after God's own heart. What distinguished Saul from David? They were both chosen. They both messed up. We see in 1 Samuel 15, 10 through 11, we start getting some hints of the differences between these two chosen men. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, and he says, I regret making Saul king because he turned away from me. He turned away from me. Every time you sin, is that turning away from God? I, I imagine we get varied answers. Some would say yes, some would say no. I would venture to say that as a Christian, every time you sin, you are not turning away from God. You're not turning away from God. You're slipping and falling, but you just get right back up and you go again. God picks you up. You know how many times I've sinned in my life and sinned this week? Did I turn my back on God? No, I just slipped and fell. It's different to sin and it's different to turn your back on God. Let's read on. Let's look at a couple more clues here of of what Samuel, excuse me, what Saul how he was different from David, how he wasn't a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 15, 23, this really clarifies it for us. It says, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of lambs. Here's the secret right here. For rebellion is like the sin of divination or witchcraft, and arrogance like evil idolatry. That was Saul. He was, he was rebellious. He rebelled against God. He was prideful against God. Did you know that that's what got the devil in, in, in trouble? The devil used to be an archangel in heaven. 
He was, he was Lucifer, son of the dawn. He was son of light. He was, he was incredibly special. He was the highest of all created things. But you know what happened with the devil? He got prideful, and he wanted to be higher than God, and therefore he rebelled. Any one of us can do the same thing. We can get prideful against God and rebel against God. It's very different to slip in sin than to rebel against God and say, God, I've had it with you. I'm not listening to you anymore. I'm shutting the door on you. I'm done. I'll never forget when I was about 16 years old, I was walking with one of my friends, a very bad influence. I was a bad influence to him, and he was a bad influence to me. But I'll never forget, he said, he was, we were walking along, he got really open and honest with me. He said, you know what? I'm done with God. I'm finished with God. God hasn't done anything for me. You know what he was doing? He was saying, I'm closing the door on God. I'm shutting my connection off with God. We're finished. Why did my friend do that? Well, it was a prideful, kind of rebellious, just attitude. I'm finished with you, God. That's what we have to be careful with. The little besetting sins or the big besetting sins pale in comparison to shutting the door on God. We can't afford to do that. That was the difference between Saul and David. Saul slipped and fell, but he kept his opening open with God, his heart open with God. Saul slipped and fell, and he shut the door in God's face, apparently, because he had rebellion, he had, he had pride. So let's kind of look at, look at the, uh, the consequence of this. A chosen man of God, a chosen woman of God, can rebel against God. Just because you're chosen doesn't mean that you can't shut the door on God. Of course you can. We have an example right here where it happens. We have examples in our own lives. I've shut the door on God before. Thank God I opened it up real quick afterwards. All right? I bet all of us have shut the door on God. But praise God, you and I, we have the ability to open that door back up. It's not game over. It's not lights out. You can do it right now. Open your heart to the Lord. It says in Revelations 3, I think 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Any man who opens the door, I will come in. Don't let anything in life cause you to slam the door in God's face. Not your pain, not your sadness, not your aggravation, not your circumstances. Always keep the door open. So if we shut the shut off God through rebellion and pride, what does that lead to? Well, it says here in 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23, where we were just reading, it says, you have rejected the word of the Lord. When we shut the door on God, we reject what he's telling us. He says, right? We say, just because you told me to go right, I'm going left. He says, stop. Just because you told me to stop, I'm going forward. That's what rejecting the, the, the word of the Lord is. It's saying, just because you said, I'm going to do the opposite. That's rejecting the Lord. And that's called, ultimately, it's called disobedience. But if you flip it on the other side, just like David did, you open your heart to the Lord and you're humble. All right, not perfect, just open and humble. You accept God's word. And you say, okay, God, it's hard. I don't buy, I don't totally agree with you but I accept your word. Or better still, I accept your word. Boy, that feels good. (laughs) I accept your word. That leads to obedience. You see, obedience is the fruit of our relationship with God, 
not the root of our relationship with God. Grace teaches us to be obedient to God. God never said, be obedient, and then I'll love you. No, no, no. He said, I love you, and my love for you is going to make you obedient. I'm going to change the desires in your heart. Don't ever think, oh, i got to be obedient to please God so he'll love me. No, no, no. He loved you first. He treasures you first. And over a course of a whole lifetime, he changes our hearts to be obedient to him in a natural way, in an acceptable way. This is an interesting scripture. I'm, I'm almost done. Um, I, I'm just going to read it real quick. It's, it's, a, it's a scripture I've never understood. Hebrews 6, 4, it says, It's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who taste of the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted of the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, who have fallen away. In other words, who've shut the door on God to be brought back to repentance. What? Ooh, that's scary. You're telling me if I shut the door on God, I never can be brought back to repentance? Here's here's the key, though. To their loss, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. I'll tell you, the way I interpret that is as long as I've got that door shut in God's face, I can't be brought back to repentance. I'm literally crucifying the Son of God right there all over again. But as soon as I say, I'm letting go of my pride, I'm letting go of my rebellion, and the door pops open, there I'm scot-free again. I'm scot-free again. You can open the door to God at any point in your life, and I encourage you to do it today. So let's just finish up with these couple of scriptures here of David and how he opened his heart to the Lord. Look at this in 2 Samuel 12, 13, after he's killed Uriah, had an affair with his wife, (laughs) all this stuff. David says to the prophet Nathaniel, or Nathan, excuse me, I have sinned against the Lord. He admitted it. He just opened it up. He said, I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong. And I open the door to admission, to transparency, to to openness to you. After he'd counted all those people in Israel, trying to make himself feel good about how big his country was and how strong and powerful they were, in 1 Chronicles 21, 17, David says to God, was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted? Because God was, was punishing the population for David's sin. People were dying from, I believe it was a plague. And he said, I, the shepherd of sin, I have done wrong. Not these sheep, not these people. And so he opened himself up to God. Don't let your wrongdoing close yourself to God. Make it open yourself to God. And I'll end with this. It's in, um, oh my goodness, here it is. Psalms 51, again, after David had done this horrible thing with Bathsheba and killed her husband, he says in verse 1, again, Psalms 51, verse 1, have mercy on me, O God. You know how I know he had openness to God? He was talking to God. He was talking to God. He was writing God a note, a psalm. He said, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. That's that sin that's just like it's in you. You can't get rid of it. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me against you 
And you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, so that you may be right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness in the secret place. You taught me wisdom. Cleanse me with a hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear your joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Let me tell you what. You want to reach your full-blown potential in this life, your predestined potential? Keep your heart open to God. Keep it open to God. Don't shut, the, don't shut the door in his face. No matter what. Job said, yet if he, if he slays me, I will still trust in him. Even if I perceive that God has done something bad or wrong, I'm going to trust the Lord. Keep your heart open to the Lord. Jesus, we just thank you, God, Lord, for the tale of these two men. Apparently and very clearly, Saul shut the door on God through rebellion and through pride. Lord, he rejected your word. I could have read many details that would have proven this fact. I didn't have time to today, Jesus. But, Lord, there's many instances where clearly he was rejecting your word. Lord, disobedience is is unfortunately something natural uh, to our 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 sinful life, Lord. We all disobey, Lord, and we shouldn't get down on ourselves so much when we disobey. But, Lord, rebellious disobedience is a totally different thing. Prideful disobedience is a totally different thing, Jesus. And I pray today, God, that we, your chosen people, would listen carefully to this message and say, God, I don't want to ever, ever shut you out of my life. I want to keep the door of communication open with you, uh, keep the door of forgiveness open with you, the door of mercy and grace open to you. Lord, I never want to close the door to you. In fact, rip down the whole wall. We don't even need a door. God, I want to be one with you and you be one with me. Jesus, I want to be close to you, oh God. I thank you, Jesus. Lord, and I'm just simply going to pray for every person in this room, including myself. God, help us to keep the door open to you. Only then can we reach the full predestined potential that you have for our lives. Lord, if, if we're constantly on the defensive with you, how on earth can we ever be working with you hand in hand and, and moving forward with you, Lord, if we're always slightly or possibly largely distrusting in you? God, we've got to trust the Lord. We've got to open the door of trust to you, Jesus. Thank you.